Well, I want to tell you, it is a joy to be back. Uh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> it is a joy to be back. I hate quarantine, uh, but uh, you know, you got to do what you got to do, right? Just part of this uh, time in our lives, and so you do it. And But uh, I want you to know my heart was with you, and as I preached from home, it was just not the same. Because I'm sitting there preaching in front of a computer and I'm seeing myself moving my hands and stuff and I'm like, whoa, I'm, and I didn't know I did that. And I, you know, it's like, stop it, focus, you know? <laughs> so uh, it's such a joy to be back. Uh, and so I want you to turn with me to Psalm 34. Turn with me to Psalm 34. You know, I wasn't planning on preaching this month. This was going to be Lingle's month. He was preaching on uh, the blessed life, right? And uh, uh, was so looking forward to that series, enjoyed the first one, and then he got COVID. And fortunately, thankfully, he's getting better. Uh, going to be back uh, and start, restart the series at the first uh, uh, Sunday in February. So I want to encourage you to come and listen to that series. And so this has been an unplanned series on my part, not planned by me, planned by the Lord, right? I had two days to figure out what I was going to do the first time, and I did Psalm 121, and then I just decided to stay in the Psalms, and I think the Lord has led that. The first week, I talked about Psalm 121, and where is my help come from is the question the psalmist asks. And so I was wrestling with that and, and uh, loved that psalm and, and felt like God really uh, blessed my study. I really enjoyed it. I hope you were blessed as well. And then I read Psalm 100 and I thought, I've always loved that psalm and I, I, don't, I couldn't remember ever preaching on it. I couldn't find that I'd preached on it in a long time. And so loved and it answered another question, where is my joy? And so as I was looking, I thought, I wonder what other questions there are in the Psalms. And, and as I was wrestling and looking at different questions, one of the Psalms jumped out at me, and it was Psalm 34. It's been a favorite of mine for years, and, and I love the story behind it as well. Uh, it even makes me laugh as I read it sometimes. And uh, in Psalm 34, the question is, where is my courage in the midst of fear? You see, I think that we all deal with fears. We all have fears. You know, when we're children, it's monsters in the closet, right? Or snakes under the bed or whatever it is that you remember. But you don't really outgrow fear. It's still there as an adult. We still have our own monsters in the closet and the snakes under the beds. We just call them different things. It'd be fear of failure, maybe one of those fears. That we're afraid that we're not going to do well. When I first started Mansfield Bible, I was afraid of that. Can I do this? Can I make this happen? We become afraid to be vulnerable about who we are. And so we put on airs about that we're somebody that we're not. I remember when I first started the church, I remember that, that uh, people were trying to kind of make me after what they wanted a pastor to look like. And so they would complain about this or gripe about that. And, and so I found myself trying to adjust who I was to, to satisfy these different people. And I woke up one day about a year in and realized, I don't like who I am. <laughs> and I'm not who God made me to be. And I decided, I just need to be who God made me to be. And so at least one person's happy with who I am in this church, right? And I felt set free to be who God designed me to be. And I was like, wow. And you'd think that I learned that lesson. I started the PhD program. What did I do? Same thing. 
tried to be what I was supposed to be, kind of act intelligent. Okay, act intelligent, Buckles, you know. <laughs> Going into class here, you know. And, and so I'd walk into class and I would, you know, speak eloquently and I'd make sure that I was one of the first guys to speak because then I could speak about what I knew about because later on the professor would say, well, some of you have spoken. Uh, we've already heard you guys. I want to hear some of the guys who haven't spoken yet. And then they would ask the hard question. So I was at least smart enough to figure that out, right? But then I realized I was hating it. After six weeks, I was hating it. And I was thinking, why am I hating this? I thought I would love it. And I woke up in the middle of the night and realized I'm not being who God made me to be. I'm not being vulnerable. I'm just being this fake Greg. You know, I'm supposed to belong here, Greg. And I, I'm with all these young guys, you know, Greg, you know? The old guy with all the younger guys that had just gone through two sets of theology, both their undergraduate and their masters, and they were hitting it the third time, and I was a music major with a Christian ed degree in seminary going into theology. And thinking, I gotta pretend that I belong here. I finally realized, heck with that. I just need to be vulnerable and be who I am and just ask my questions. And if I'm an idiot, I'm an idiot to the glory of God, right? <laughs> and so I I started asking my question, blew up the class. And when I got done, I went, that was fun. And several people in the class said the same thing. And I realized even 35 years later, I still need to learn this lesson about vulnerability and not giving in to my fears. Lack of knowledge. I know you guys fact check during a sermon, right? You know, online or at, you know, here, you're, you got your phone out and you're kind of looking like, you know, you're taking notes. I know you're fact checking, right? You know, oh, you got this wrong. You know, cause I, I get the emails. Uh, oh, you got this wrong. Or that was, that really wasn't a real story or whatever. You know, you should have checked Snopes or, and I appreciate that. But, but there's that sense of, I always want to get it right. It's like, I'm not going to always get it right. We're fearful of new things. I know that because there's a stress scale due to change and due to newness. Uh, we got a new regime in power in our government. Whether you voted for them or not voted for them, it's change, right? It's different. And so we find ourselves watching, waiting, nervous or whatever, excited, whatever your emotion is, and, and you're wrestling with those things. But it's new. It's different. It's change. And we don't like change, even if it's a good change. We struggle with it. Because we're not in control. We like to be in control of our lives. We struggle with health. We're fearful of, of getting sick or fearful of a loved one getting sick. And so it controls us and it, and it defines us. And I think we can't allow our fears to define who we are. And that's my question is how much, as I was wrestling with this, I was asking myself this question, how much are my fears defining me? Where are my fears defining me? And my actions, because it changes who I am. You see that with Adam and Eve. When they were afraid, what did they do? They hid from the Lord. Really? The all-knowing one you're going to hide from. Smart. You know, you just ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You should know better, and you're hiding. Just because we know doesn't mean we don't do the wrong thing. You see this with uh, Abraham and with Isaac. Both lied about their wives saying, oh, she's my sister. Don't kill me. In one case, he was at least half right, Abraham. Isaac, not right at all, not even half sister. And so you, you, you realize they were allowing fear to control their actions, even disavowing their wife. I would be in real trouble if I did that, just saying, right? 
I would be dead. I mean, you wouldn't see me anymore. Uh, you'd wonder what happened to me and I'd be, uh, you know, buried in the backyard or something. I, you know, you look at that and you think, uh, we, we, we struggle with fear and it controls us. You see that with the children of Israel. They wandered around, a whole generation doesn't get in. Why? Because they're afraid of the Nephilim in the land. Fear caused them to miss out on the blessing of seeing God work and his strong hand work. I think, and the question is, what am I missing in my life? Because I'm afraid to pick up that phone and make the phone call. I'm afraid to, to go and, and, and respond to an email. I'm afraid to go talk to someone. I'm afraid to take a step forward and instead I take a step backwards. Where is fear controlling me and defining me? And how, and more important question, do I solve it? How do I solve my issue with fear? I guarantee you every one of you has something you're afraid of. And it's defining you. And so what are you doing about it? Can't just will it away. I wish I could. I wish I could just say, hey, fear's not there. Don't be afraid. Great, it's gone. Guess what? What surprise. Still there. So how do I deal with it? Well, the first thing we do is we Google, right? Dealing with fear. <laughs> so I Googled it, just thought, I wonder what people will say about fear and how we're supposed to handle it. And I found one uh, from the... Uh, uh, National Health of Scotland, I think was what it was. Yeah, National Health of Scotland. And, and it gave 10 easy steps for dealing with fear. And I thought, well, it's probably the same stuff as anybody else would say. So I just went with it. And uh, one is take some time out. That's, I mean, he gives some good advice. Take 15 minutes, walk around the block. That's great, but it doesn't deal with the fear, does it? It just gives you a little time to calm down a little bit, but the fear is still there. Another one is breathe through the panic. I just got a, one of these Apple watches for uh, Christmas, and uh, it's a Series 3, the older one, which is a better price, still has good function. Uh, I'm not a salesman. I don't get anything for that. Um, but, it, you know, there's this, it's breathe. And so every once in a while, it, it, it does this little kind of bumps and makes, you know, vibrates, and I look at it, and it says breathe. Okay, I'll breathe, you know. You breathe deeply and slowly, and, you know, it does about six, eight times. And, and you think, well, oh, that's nice. But you still have the fear. It might calm you, but you still have the fear. Face your fears. Oh, now that's a better step. Avoiding them only makes them scarier. But what do you do to face it? Doesn't say. He just says face it. Imagine the worst. That's terrifying. <laughs> Actually, I can imagine a lot. Uh, look at the evidence. Well, I'm a realist, right? So I, I, you know, and, and, and I'm not going to be the optimistic type. I'm going to look at, man, this is the worst that can happen. And here's a, that's why I'm afraid because I'm thinking that way already. Don't try to be perfect. Bad days and setbacks will always happen. Well, duh. That's not that helpful. Visualize your happy place. Right out for me. That doesn't really make me happier or have better positive feelings. Talk about it. Oh, now there's a good one. Now, you got to be careful about who you talk to, right? Go back to the basics, this one. Get a good night's sleep, wholesome uh, walk. Uh, that, that's good. None of these deal with the fear itself. All of them are just kind of salving the fear, but none of them deal with the actual fear. And I realize most of our lists are going to do that. They don't deal with the fear. It's just kind of, oh, you got the fear. You know, that's too bad for you. Uh, your life stinks. Uh, sorry. Uh, 
And so I look and I think, how do we deal with fear? What does scripture say? I love this passage in Psalm 34. Because he talks about dealing with fear. And he has some actual practical uh, essential help. Now, we got to understand the situation. And so you read the beginning of the psalm. There's only 14 psalms of David that actually had tell us what the situation is. And this is one of them. It says, David, a psalm of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. So we go back to 1 Samuel 21. Let's look at the story. You might want to go back there with me to kind of, I'm going to read a little bit of this story. In 1 Samuel 21 and verse 12, kind of giving you the background as you're looking up this passage, uh, David is being chased by Saul. Saul is wanting to kill him, right? Because Saul is worried that David's going to be the next king of Israel and he wants Jonathan, his son, to be the next king of Israel and so he's trying to wipe him out. It's what kings did in those days. They wiped out all competition so that it would stay in the family and that's what he wanted to do. And so in 21.10 it says, And David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. And you think, wait, that said Achish and the psalm said Abimelech. Can't be the same guy, right? No, it's the same guy because he changed his behavior. And this is the passage where he changes his behavior. So why two different names? Well, Abimelech is actually the uh, dynastic name. It's the name of, of, the, of the ruler. It would be like Caesar. Uh, uh, you know, Caesar Augustus or Julius Caesar. And so it was a title, not a name. Abimelech, Melech means king. Ab, we know from Abba, which means father, father of a king. And so this was the title, Abimelech. His name was Achish, king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And David took these words to heart and was very much, what? Afraid. He was scared to death. He was very much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior. Oh, that's what the psalm said. He changed his behavior. Changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the door of the gate and let spittle run down his beard. Have you ever done that? Has that ever happened to you? Not me. I haven't done that. Done some stupid things when I was afraid, but I haven't done that. I, I mean, imagine that. I mean, just, there's a man after God's own heart. Here's a guy who's, who's been anointed the next king of Israel and he's just acting insane and this is where I laugh the response of Achish says then Achish said to his servants behold you see the man is mad why have you brought him to me do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence shall this fellow come into my house I mean you know come on for crying out loud what did you do why did you bring this guy now I want you to think about the um, craziness of what David actually did. Achish, the king of Gath. You recognize that name, Gath? May not. Goliath of Gath. That's where Goliath's hometown was. That's where Goliath's whole family lived. And David thought that running from Saul, that would be a safe place to go Gath, where he killed Goliath. 
Not where he killed him, but who he killed. He killed him further up the Yale Valley. He kills Goliath. Now, if you read the passage earlier in 1 Samuel 21, you find that David was fleeing from Saul. He left so quickly, he didn't have any food, any weapons. So he goes to Nob. Now, Nob is on the Mount of Olives. It's one end of it. It's where Hebrew University is today. And so he is very close to Jerusalem. And so he went there. There was a Himalek, not Abimelech. The only change is an H instead of a V. Don't confuse these guys. A Himalek was the priest. And he said, the only bread I have is this which has been consecrated bread. And he gives it to him under certain conditions. And then he said, the only weapon I have is Goliath's sword. Great. So you show up to Gath, you've killed Goliath, and you have his sword, which probably everybody recognized that's a big sword that had to be Goliath's sword. No wonder he was afraid. I can't imagine being in his position. I can't imagine that he did that and didn't think that was a smart idea. Well, in 22, he goes on, it says, David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. That's a place that you think, okay, hard word. I don't know where Adullam is. Well, here's Adullam right there. There's the Dead Sea. There's Bethlehem. There's Jerusalem. Here's Gath. So it's halfway between Bethlehem and Gath. And there's a bunch of caves on a hill. And in fact, here's a picture of one of the caves And so you can imagine how David might have been able to live in there, maybe with a few of his guys uh, sleeping on, you know, very uncomfortable situation and surroundings. I believe that it was either in that cave or above that cave. If you see the mouth of the cave here in the foreground. And then I have a feeling he was sitting here looking out over this when he wrote Psalm 34 and Psalm 56, both of those written as a result of this situation. And you would think that he would say, wow, that was a close one. And that might be the tenor of the psalm. No, I will bless the Lord at all times. Psalm 34, 1. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. And you read that and kind of go, wow, that doesn't seem to fit with Scratching on the door and foaming at the mouth. In fact, a lot of commentators said this psalm has nothing to do with that title. That header must not be correct. No, I think it's exactly correct. Because he says in verse 4, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. This is a psalm about fear. This is a psalm about dealing with fear. This is a psalm that that helps us to understand where is my courage in the midst of my fear? And I'm going to give you, I'm going to kind of jump ahead a little bit because I want you to see the answer to our fear is fear of the Lord. That kind of surprised me this week, to be honest with you. I was thinking, oh, it's going to be this or it's going to be that is the solution. And I try not to get ahead of a passage and kind of jump to conclusions. And when I started looking at fear of the Lord, why is he talking about fear of the Lord? Why why is that important here? And in fact, he even says, come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. 
Why do I need to be taught the fear of the Lord when I'm afraid? It seems like it's just more fear, right? Hold that thought. And we're going to get to the fear of the Lord and understanding it when we get to that part of the psalm. But I want you to see how the psalm is structured. In verses 1 to 10, Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, looked at this psalm and said these first 10 verses are a hymn. And then 11 to 22, a sermon. The sermon, come, O children, listen to me, I will teach you. So this idea of a sermon, this idea of learning, right? But I, as I looked at it, I think, you know, I, I prefer that first 10 verses as a testimony and then a sermon. It's David's testimony because he's saying, I will do this. I sought the Lord. The Lord delivered me. And so it's David talking about what happened to him. It's his testimony of his life and how he deal, dealt with fear. And so I think, you know, on the outside, foaming at the mouth, marking on the door. On the inside, as improbable as it sounds, and maybe it was just after the fact here, trusting the Lord. And so I want us to take some time to understand and break down. What is, what is he telling us to do? Here's what he's saying for us to do when we have fear. Two of them are from his testimony, two of them from his sermon. The two from a testimony, verse 1, I will bless the Lord. So bless. Verse 4, I sought the Lord. Seek. Verse 9, oh fear the Lord. Fear. Verse 17, doesn't have the word trust, but it does have the phrase the Lord. When the righteous cry out for the help, the Lord hears. Now there's 16 places where the Lord is mentioned, but these are times where it's, we're told to do something. And in that case, that, the, verse 17, to cry out for help, to pray, to talk to him. And so I had trust on one side, pray on the other. I can't really uh, uh, decide which one it was that I think, oh, this is the one, but I just put down trust. So bless, seek, fear the Lord, and trust in him. That's what he's telling us to do. And he tells it through his own testimony. He tells it through this sermon. And he wants us to understand what it is that this is to deal with fear. And so he starts off and he says, in, the, in this first section, the first three verses, he gives us six things to remember. Six things that we need to focus on. So I would encourage you to think about these six things. These six things are, I bless, I will bless the Lord at all times. This idea of blessing, the word barak. In fact, I, I didn't get a chance to double check, but I think the name barak that we see uh, later in, in Judges is the same word. This idea of blessing, that we bless the Lord. And, and um, this idea of blessing, uh, and I'm looking for my note here, uh, it, it uh, means specifically to speak words of excellence of an object or of a person. John Piper picks up on this idea and he says, God blesses men and, and women. They are thereby helped and strengthened and made better off than they were before. But when people bless God, he is not helped or strengthened or made better off. So how is this valuable to God? Well, he goes on and says, when the Old Testament speaks of blessing God, it does not designate a process that it aims at increasing God's strength it is an exclamation of gratitude and admiration. 
And so it's this idea that we're looking at God and we are blessing him for who he is. I don't know if many of you have heard that uh, he is, I think uh, the title of the uh, video is, That's My King. If you haven't listened to it, go listen to it. Because it begins to just list names of God, titles of God. We played it years ago in our church and, and about halfway through, people just began to cheer. It, it blesses our hearts when we bless the Lord. And we don't know how to bless the Lord, by the way. We're not very good at it because we start to bless the Lord. Lord, you are so amazing. Thank you for it. And we're into Thanksgiving. Lord, you are so wonderful. Uh, I, I'm asking you for it. And we're into supplication. We can't seem to stay at adoration. We struggle with it. We struggle with staying there. And we see the psalmist and many of the psalms begin to use verbiage that we don't typically use when we talk about God. We don't say, my fortress, my king, my high tower, my stronghold. I mean, we don't use those kind of, that kind of terminology. We just kind of instantly go to our list of things that we're praying for. We instantly go to, oh yeah, I'm supposed to be thankful now. So we say a few thankful things and then, then typically we go to supplication there too. To stay in adoration. And that's what that, that's my king does. It just starts listing the names of God and you find your heart lifted. I find myself when I'm struggling in prayer, if I just start adoration, adoring God, who he is, and I begin to see him for who he is, it changes me. It changes my perspective. It changes my perception of my situation and of him. It says, his praise shall be continually in my mouth. This idea of praise is this, uh, uh, carries the idea of singing. And we, we sang about that, that the song, that, that, that's going to be our battleground, is, is singing to the Lord and singing a little louder. And why is it saying that? Because this idea of singing God's praises, not just speaking his praises, singing them. You may not be very good at singing at all. That's okay. Sing anyway. You may want to sing by yourself or in the shower or in the car, but sing anyway. I remember when I first came to Christ. Brand new believer. Very next week, I had a guy, thankfully, I had a guy that was discipling me. He showed me how to have a quiet time. I didn't even know what it was. I didn't know what a quiet time was. Daily time with the Lord. And, and uh, the morning watch, as some would call it. And so this, this idea that I would, first thing in the morning, I would open God's word, read a little bit of it. I would pray. And he had a song book there. And he said, I usually sing something. Of course, we only had a hymn book in those days and there's so much more. You even have stuff on your phone that you can play and, and sing along with and so you don't even have to listen to yourself that much. But to, but to sing to the Lord, to just sing to him, just you and him, it changes you. You can't stay in your present state when you begin to sing. Boast in the Lord. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Everything around us is boasting that it's going to defeat us. That's why we're afraid. We're afraid because we think everything is going to come down on me. No, I need to boast in my God. What can my, do, my God do? This is what my God can do. And as we begin, and, and it, it means that we maybe uh, have to get into the Psalms or get into the Word of God or just look up some of the things that God can do and has done. It's something that Paul, by the way, prays for the Ephesians, that they would know the power that believers have, that God has for believers 
the power that he designed for us, the power of the resurrection working in our lives. That's what he wants for us. Ephesians chapter one. It's one of the things that he wants for us. For this reason, I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love, Ephesians 1, 15, toward the saints. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Why? That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. He wants them to understand that. He wants us to understand that. According to the working of his great power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, he wants us to understand the resurrection power that's available for you and me. And so many times I live in my own strength. And I wonder why I don't see more success. When Paul was dealing with weaknesses in his life and he asked God to remove it from him, God said, my grace is sufficient in weakness. His power is perfected in our weakness and therefore we need to come before him humbly. That's why he goes on very next statement in Psalm 34. Let the humble hear and be glad. When I'm afraid, my tendency is to come to the Lord and become demanding and say, this is what I need. You need to keep me from this. You need to make this not happen. And we, and we find ourselves very insistent and very demanding and we let our fears drive our prayer instead of coming before God humbly and saying, God, you know all things. You are all powerful. If it needed to stop, you could stop it. And I trust you. And so I'm going to pray to you, but I'm, I'm listening to you for what's best. And it means that I'm reading his word. Let the humble hear and be glad. How do I hear the Lord? I read his word. In fact, in Psalm 56, which is a companion psalm to this one, he wrote this psalm also at the same time uh, or similar time, I think, at Adullam. In verse 3 of 56, he says, When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. I want to encourage you to memorize this verse. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. I would encourage you to teach this to your family. Teach this to your kids so that the first thing that they think when they feel fear is when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. And that you remind each other of this phrase. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. And notice the very next verse. In God whose word I praise. So it's the word of God. In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? And so this idea that when I, when I feel afraid, I begin to read his word. And I read it in a humble fashion. Not coming in with all the answers, but coming in with questions. And I'm listening to what God has to say to me. And not trying to read into him what he's supposed to do. He says, oh, magnify the Lord with me. This idea of magnify is the valuing God. Valuing who he is. Valuing his opinion above all else. By the way, that's what the fear of the Lord is. It's not being terrorized by God. It's 
in awe of him and respecting what he has to say. That's why when I respect what he has to say, it's the beginning of wisdom because I begin to listen rather than to dictate to God what is true. And let us exalt his name together. This COVID environment has taken away that issue of together. We're not with one another. We're not around one another. And so we need one another. Proverbs talks about this idea that there's wisdom in having many counselors so that we listen to people around us. And so that's an important thing. And we need it together. We need to encourage one another together. I need you to tell me when I'm afraid I will trust in you. I need you to tell me uh, 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 some of your favorite verses when, when I feel fear, when you feel fear in your life. Because I don't want fear to dictate to us how we shall then live. So you look at these six things. Bless the Lord. Speak of his excellence. Praise the Lord, sing of his excellence, make its boast, talk about what my God can do, our God can do. Read the word of God, let the humble hear and be glad. Magnify, value what God has to say. Exalt his name, do it together. If we do those things, we're taking a huge step in blessing the Lord. Then he goes on and the second thing he tells us is to seek the Lord. I sought the Lord and he answered me. And he delivered me from all my fears. Now, notice it doesn't say he delivered me from all the circumstances that cause the fear. No, he delivered me from my fears. Now, keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee. Isaiah 26. When you look at... at uh, uh, fee, uh, Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. What is the step whenever I'm anxious? Pray. And we'll experience perfect peace. The peace that passes understanding. You can't imagine this amazing peace that you feel in the midst of a time when you should be afraid. And you go, wow, this is from God. I don't know why I'm not afraid right now, but I, I have his peace. Why? Because my focus is on him, not on me, not on the circumstances. That looks huge. I feel weak, but he can do all things. And if I bless his name and I praise and I sing about his name and I'm boasting about what my God can do and I'm reading his word, he is high and lifted up in my heart and I know that he can do all things. He may tell me no. I may seek the Lord and he tells me no, but he delivers me from my fears and gives me the peace that passes understanding, the Prince of Peace who gives peace, whose who's everything is focused on peace. So he may tell me no or he may tell me wait. I mean, God can, there's three things that God can do every time we pray. Yes, no, wait. I like the yes. I don't like the other two. I still remember a professor of mine, Howard Hendricks, who said, uh, uh, he said, you know, when he was pastor and as a single man, he had women who came up to him, moms come up to him and say, you know, I'm praying that you'll marry my daughter. <laughs> and he said, he just looked at us in class and said, do you ever thank God for unanswered prayer? <laughs> God's got to say no to somebody, right? And that wasn't necessarily his prayer, but it was their prayer. And somebody no and somebody yes. And, and so you realize God knows what he's doing. We need to trust him. He, we, he is like us as a parent that we have to say no to our kids or yes to our kids or, or wait. And we don't like to say the no. We, don't, we love to say the yes and they're all happy. But 
we have to say no because sometimes no is for their protection. It's for their good and they don't understand it and they're going to throw a tantrum because we throw tantrums too as adults with the Lord when he tells us no. We don't like it. Say, I'm not talking to you. Not going to church anymore. Not going to read your word. Not going to talk to you. Not pray. Thinking that we're doing God some harm or something or getting back at him. And the reality is we just didn't like the answer. And he was doing it for our good. says, he delivered me from all our fears, verse 5. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. So when we look to him, the joy comes. The faces are radiant. We're not ashamed. This poor man cried and he was definitely poor. He didn't have much. He didn't have food. He didn't have a sword. He was living in a cave. And the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. You know who the angel of the Lord is in the Old Testament? I believe it's the pre-incarnate Christ. And it's only used twice in the Psalms, in this one and the next one, Psalm 35. And so it jumps out at you as in the Psalms going, oh wow, we, we need to pay attention to this one. It says he encamps around those who fear him. Now, it brings to mind as I read that uh, uh, of the uh, prophet Elisha who would come along a little later after David. Elisha was at Dothan, and Dothan, uh, you have Mount Carmel up in the northern part, uh, right at the beginning of the, of the Galilee area. It divides the Galilee from that below it, and, and it has three passes through it. The third one is the Dothan Pass near the Sea of Galilee. So they were there. And Elisha was with his servant, and the king of Aram thought that if he could capture Elisha, he could stop the information leak because Elisha would have these prophecies prophesied to the king of Israel and, so, uh, and then they would defeat the king of Aram. So he thought, if I can get Elisha, I knock that right out. So his life is being sought after. Elisha's servant goes out to, to get some water outside the city and he sees the troops coming. He comes back and he reports to Elisha, the troops are coming, they're coming for you. Elisha said, don't be afraid. Well, you can say that, right? But then he said, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. He's, and I'm thinking the servant's going, I saw the armies. There's two of us, a lot more of them. And then Elisha prayed that God would open his servant's eyes. He looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. We don't know what God has in store, what God has brought for us. He encamps around those who fear him. So that idea of fearing the Lord and delivers them. And then he says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. In other words, Lord is good. You need to trust him. You need to try him out. You need to taste and see, kind of that picture of, uh, you know, try it. You'll like it, right, when, when you have food. This idea of try the Lord, and I have found him, David says, to be good. Even in the midst of being an Akish king of Gath, I have found him to be good. He says, oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, verse 9, and those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. And then he gets into the sermon. 
Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. In other words, it's something that we have to learn. It's not something that we just have in our lives. We need to learn how to fear God. And it's not the wrong kind of fear, which is terror, which is, uh, 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 but it's this deep respect. This deep and profound awe of what God has to say. That we respect him, that we value him, that we value what, what he has When I fear the Lord, I respect what he says. And if I value what he says, I live according to the truth. And I begin to live righteousness. And I begin to believe the truth. And Jesus says, you shall know the truth, so truth shall set you free. Truth sets you free from from fear as well. Because notice what happens when we're afraid. Sometimes we lie. Because we're afraid of handling the truth. And speaking the truth. Abraham. Isaac, they lied because they were afraid. The truth sets us free. And it makes us receptive to more wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So when we are in awe of him, when we value what he has to say, when we respect him, we don't have that paralyzing fear. It says, What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil, so speak the truth, and your lips from speaking deceit. So speak truth. When you're in the midst of fear, don't speak lies, speak the truth. When you're in the midst of fear, turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Do the right thing. Your tendency is, don't make the phone call. Your step of righteousness, pick up the phone. Take your cell phone and and make the call. Respond to the email. Do what you need to do to take that next step. Don't let the fears define you. Let the fear of the Lord define you. That you value what he has to say. And restoring a broken relationship is something God's all about because he's done it. That's why Jesus died on the cross to restore our relationship to him. To bring us to him. He loves that when that happens. Expect the best. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off their memory from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears. So we pray to him, we trust him and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. He's near us when we're humble before him. He's near us when we just cry out, out of our broken heart. Lord, help me. Lord, I don't know what to do. Lord, I I, I know I can take some steps, but I need you. I can't do this on my own. Those kind of statements, Lord, I invite you to get involved in my world and do what I may not be able to do, do what you only have the power to do. It says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. I wonder why he said that except for a prophecy about Christ coming. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. And then verse 22. You can't tell this in the English, but this psalm is an acrostic. Every verse begins with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet going through the alphabet and skips one of them. Because there's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, so normally this would be the last one. This one doesn't have it. They skipped one. I think the Vav, and this one is by itself, so it stands out. 
Somebody who was memorizing this in the cross, he goes, oh, what is this verse? This must be important because it's stuck on the end there. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Refuge in our God. He is our refuge. He is the one that we look to. He is the one who is our strength, our power, our, our, the one who delivers us, not we ourselves. I love the story of Chrysostom. Chrysostom was a bishop in the uh, church in Constantinople. He was uh, born in about 347 A.D., during the Byzantine era. He was uh, brought to Constantinople. He was known as a silver-tongued orator. He was the golden mouth. He was, he was an incredible preacher of his day. He was one of the best of his day. And yet, the queen of Constantinople, Eudoxia, didn't like him and was getting ready to exile him, and he was asked about this. He said, what can I fear? Will it be death? Christ is my life. Will it be exile? All the earth is the Lord's. So wherever they send me, that's the Lord's too. Will it be loss of wealth? We brought nothing into this world. And then he said, thus all terrors are contemptible in my eyes. I smile at all the good things to come. He says, poverty I do not fear. Riches I do not sigh for. Death I do not shrink from. And I think, wow, what courage. Why does he have that courage? Because he understands this focus upon the Lord. He understands this focus upon truth. And he knows the truth. What about death? Oh, Christ is my life, so not a, not a problem. What about exile? All the earth's the Lord, wherever they send me, I'm good. What about loss of wealth? I didn't bring anything into the world anyway. Everything I have is a gift. God's the provider. I, mean, I just think, wow. May we respond in the same way with God's truth, understanding his word, and not let our fears define us. I love what General Patton said when he was talking about courage. He says, courage is fear holding on a minute longer. Just hanging on just a, a little bit longer. And what he didn't bring in there is hanging on a little longer, focused upon, the, focused upon the Lord, who is my strength, who is my joy, who gives me joy, whom I can bless, who I know is near me when I'm brokenhearted. I have nothing to fear because I have the God of the universe who loves me. We have nothing to fear. We don't need to let those fears define us. So the question this morning is, where are fears defining you? And I would encourage you, start with worship. Bless the Lord. Speak of excellent things about him. Sing to him. Praise continually. Boast in the Lord of what he can do. Value what you get from him. Exalt his name with some other folks, maybe others in your family, others at home, others at church, others that you feel like that you can get together with, that you've quarantined with. Bless the Lord. Seek the Lord. Pray to him. Read his word. Fear the Lord. And trust him. I think as we do these things, we may not have the situation go away, 
But you're going to find that your heart is lifted up even in the midst of those things which normally would cause fear. He is the source, fear of the Lord. That's the beginning of wisdom of our understanding about fear. It's the key to stepping and walking in truth. Father, we come before you and we thank you for the things that you have given us to combat our fears. And it's yourself, ultimately. We come to you. We trust you. We look to you. You are our light. When your light comes into our world, it moves the darkness away. It gives us clarity. It gives us truth. Lord, may we value you. May we value your truth. God, you are the everlasting one. You are the holy one. You are where truth resides. You are where fear fades away. You are where peace comes from. The prince of peace. You are our refuge. You are our strength, our shield. You're the one who has given to us eternal life. You're the one who's made us your children and given us your spirit to have your spirit residing in us. You are not far away but near. You listen to us. You hear our prayers. You're a God who gives us truth. You don't leave us in the dark. You tell us what you want. You're the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. You're our high tower. You're our strong fortress. You're the Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father, Wonderful Counselor. We come to you. We worship you today. Strengthen us in you, Lord so that we can have the courage to live as you designed us to do, that we can have the courage to speak your name to those who may not initially want to hear it. Lord, help us to be your witnesses in a world that desperately needs you. Help us to live for you. We love you and we praise your name in Jesus' precious name. Amen.